Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We discover why people do what they do, how they do it, and what the future of their work is. My guest today is Chris Lindsay. He's a Scottish screenwriter working across drama and factual drama in film, TV, and audio. He's a Red Planet Prize finalist and an Edinburgh TV Festival one to watch, through which he was mentored by Jed Mercurio. He's written episodes of Critical, Holby City, Casualty, and River City, as well as award-winning docudrama short, The Breeder. Enjoy. Oh yeah, there we go. We played that live in the room, by the way. That was, uh, <laughs> Mark was playing that live. I was on, I was on keys. <laughs> You're on keys. You're on the Hammond. Yeah. Do you play keys? Um, I, I, I can, I, three finger chords uh-huh. using, using the key of C. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. That's, then, um, that's the best one. And ones. then you hit yeah. the transpose button. Yeah, and, and then you can play everything. Play everything. Yeah, because you are Chris Lindsay, Hello. musician, writer, extraordinaire. How, how do you describe yourself? Do you describe yourself? Do I describe myself? Um, yeah, I mean, professionally, um, I would describe myself as a writer, which feels like a big thing to do because it's, um, people carry big ideas of what a writer is and I think we all carry big ideas of what that is and it's a, a strange old profession right. to do. So, yeah. um, yes, I, Chris Lindsay, I am a writer and uh, mostly... Um, Right for the screen or, well, in drama. I also do audio these days and yeah. interactive, so it's not so much... I've done television, I've worked around film and short film, um, and more recently also done audio yeah. products as well. But but dr- scripted drama is yeah. what I mostly work in. And the, you've already heard, like, the term writer, you are yes. a writer. Uh, why, why does it come with all these things? What does it come with for you? I think it's one of these sort of professions that's seen as kind of it's often portrayed as otherworldly and elevated somehow, isn't it? And mm-hmm. um, I mean, the great writers anyway, are the ones we consider great, are, you know, whispered about in the same league as philosophers and religious figures, aren't they? And yeah. your Dickens and your Shakespeare. There's this pretension around it and look, and sneering at people who don't, writers that don't, you know, hit that. Mm, yeah. Hit that way. People particularly... Yeah. Um, we want certain things from writers, don't we? And we don't want other things from them. And yeah. I think um, to call yourself that is a strange thing. And I think, you know, um, certainly it's not a career I ever thought I could do hmm. or thought was possible um, or even considered until quite late. And, you know, so much of writing is not writing, actually. It is um, both thinking and mulling and planning and plotting and daydreaming but it's also chasing work and chasing jobs yeah. uh, that it, it can there's definitely you know it's, uh, it gets kicked around a lot imposter syndrome but you know um unless you're kind of tied to your desk like a monk in a <laughs> cell you know writing all the time um then that can that can that can definitely gnaw at you so it was a hard thing to own yeah uh, but it is my job yes. and it is what i do and yeah. it is what i've done Full time um, to various degrees with um, family commitments and things yeah. for best part of a decade now. Wow. So, um, so how how did you get there? What was what was early yeah, early, early Chris, life? Well, early, early Chris is funny. So um, I say I never knew I could be a writer. It really wasn't a thing I considered. It I had those ideas. Writers are somehow godlike, special people right. who um, will just exist on a higher plane than the rest of us, and. I never considered that, but I loved story, and I always loved stories. We, um, I wasn't the, I'm dyslexic, which is 
you know, often people go on these things and go, oh, my, uh, my different way of thinking has made life so much more exciting and interesting. No, it's just a pain in the arse. It's been a No, it's just a pain in the arse, yeah, because um, <laughs> I write for a living and it's, and it's hard to read and it's hard to write it down. So, no, wow. it's, it's, it's a constant headache. But um, I'm not wildly dyslexic, but I'm likely dyslexic. So it just does just make it that little bit harder. So I wasn't a big reader, but I was a big consumer of stories. So mm. a big um, watcher of television and film when I was young. Right. Um, really raised in the best the best sense by the sort of BBC kind of public service broadcasting and drama and news and current affairs and sitcom through you know all throughout my childhood just watched anything I didn't really go out or right. or I was the kid that wouldn't go out and play I didn't play football I didn't go anywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. I stayed in and watched television and watched adult dramas that were wildly inappropriate um, for my age range but impressed story upon me and and it's funny my mum tells a tells me a tale that I'd completely forgotten that apparently in primary one at school we were all to write a story and most kids wrote you know four or five words maybe two lines uh-huh. I wrote six pages <laughs> in primary That's, one in P1 in P1 and the teacher Mate. took me aside and I thought I was in trouble and I, I might have done too wow. much and she went I want you to leave the room now and I want you to go around all the other classrooms and show the other teachers what you've done wow because it was so unusual and yeah, I, it's funny I'd completely okay. forgotten that until a couple of years ago that I story just came out of me and I, you know, with my Lego games and my yeah, yeah. action figures, I told stories that ran and ran for years uh-huh. sometimes. I had the same plot and the same story and I'd pick it up one day and go to school and come home and pick up the story and pick up and... Wow. And, and for yeah. way into my teens was doing that. And then kind of in my teens, um, a friend of mine who was... Um, his family had like a video camera and he was making a film and I asked if I could help him with that and... Just loved the making of and the telling of dramatised story. And then that was all great fun in your teens, but I didn't know how... I didn't didn't even know how to take it further. I didn't think you could take it further. I didn't understand how... Yeah. How you could become someone who did that for a living. So I sort of parked it for a long time and went and did other jobs and other things. And I went and studied media, media and culture at university for a degree, but very much as a theorist, not as a practitioner. Practitioner. No, no, that was... um, it didn't didn't feel for whatever reason didn't feel possible. But I think one of the good things about sort of the advent of the DVD box set was the extras, you know, and you mm. would get behind the scenes features on TV programs and films, and very often with the writing team or the creative team behind yep. things, and began to see, you know, I mean, there, there, I could talk about this pretension around writers. There's definitely people who want you to think as a creative, I am on an elevated plane from you, and I am some sort of other type of being. Those people are. Dressedly boring. Um, the ones I loved were the folks that would show you the nuts and bolts, would pull yeah, back the curtain and show you what they did, yeah. and would be human about what it's like to work at something, what it's like to create something. The the fact that it's often just turning up and it's just yeah. doing the work, yeah. and inspiration is glorious. But then you've got to just do it. And and I immersed myself in that sort of behind the scenes DVD culture. Oh. And began to think something just clicked in my brain. I'd had a, a funny few years. I'd been working sort of in and around um, church culture and um, volunteering and things like that. And it's kind of given my all to a lot of things that had kind of, fall, to be honest, just fallen apart mm-hmm. and it ended very badly. And I was at a real loss, but it was at the same time I connected with the kind of nuts and bolts of writing and things. And just something clicked in my head that maybe, actually, I would saw suddenly saw myself in these people and said, they are just 
someone with some ideas yeah. who's put the graft in. Yeah. And so I began to write and read every book going on, you know, for me, drama, so scripted drama, um, read every book going, watched every, um, it was kind of pre, well, early YouTube days, so every behind the scenes thing I could yeah. find and started writing and submitting my work to, very fortunate in the UK there are, it's an incredibly difficult industry to break into and to get sure. anywhere in, but there are schemes and there are development channels that are looking for new people. And so I began to submit my work to them and was, yeah, I'll, I'll blow my trumpet here. Um, um, I'll blow it for uh, well, you. Please well. do. We, we, we have a trumpet here as well for that intro music. We didn't we didn't get as far as a solo. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, we'd run out of time. Got, for that. I'm so out, sorry. We're dancing to it. I've had no puff It'll for the trumpet. Again. No, yeah. but I, I mean, very often these tr- these things, they say, look, your first five or six submissions will go nowhere because you've got to learn your craft and you've got to go. All my very early submissions got picked up. Yeah. And got noticed by people. And they didn't get didn't get made. There was a, a long a long sort of um, path between getting noticed and getting your stuff made. But I got picked up into development schemes and into kind of um, training things. And that was a huge confidence boost because, uh, you know, uh, certainly all the people I was talking to was like temper your expectations. You might have to do 10 years of this before anybody picks anything up a year because you'll have to. And clearly that story in me, that that storyteller in me that I'd actually been doing it all my life. I hadn't realised I'd been doing it all my life, but those games I played as a kid, those films we made in our teens were training me to tell story. And so when I returned to it, I seem to move quite fast into having presentable work. You know, yeah. I don't want to say it's going to set the world on fire, but it was work of a standard yeah. that people went, yes, you can you can do this. So, so there's this um, thing happening in you that you notice, like, forms mm. at a young age, which is you naturally get caught into this kind of gamifying of writing or mm. you're just caught up in that world yeah. and then that expands, expands. Um, I was hearing about Mr. Beast, who's the top... YouTuber, most subscribers okay, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. He's 23, he has 90 million subscribers. And he de- he describes it as, well, for the last 11 years, I've just been obsessed with YouTube. Mm. And he doesn't really, like, you know, they, they made a South Park reference when he was being interviewed. He said, what's that? You know, no idea. And, um, and he just expressed having some kind of singular focus mm. on this one thing actually then is the very natural path to success or to some kind of... Um, career in that area what what was it like for you and for people who are like actually you need to pick something that often feels outside yourself but they have a different passion or obsession how how do you sort of journey with that just you you ran with something that you loved and that you're interested in I think it's a really good question I think that's really interesting about about that that, that chap I've, I've heard of Mr Beast I haven't I yet yet visited his channel but because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I'm rapidly approaching middle age so I watch <laughs> middle aged YouTube um, mostly mostly aging rock stars and um, <laughs> physics videos because I'm into that but um, yeah I think that's really interesting about that singular focus and I found that and I didn't know because I didn't think it was a job I could do uh-huh. that way of thinking that way, looking at the word, was always there, but it didn't have an outlet. Yes. And so I would, I didn't know what I wanted to do, I'll be honest. Like, you know, um, I've always I've always been a bit of an outsider. And I think that's one of the things we'll come back to, what's use, embracing that kind of stuff. Because I think, you know, I didn't like football. As a, as a boy grew up in Scotland, that was unusual. Mm. And I didn't like sport. And I didn't like, and I stayed at home. I was a bit of a shut-in and I didn't, and I was a church kid and that makes you a bit of an outsider. And I was, you know, 
kind of from working class background, but growing up in a very middle class area. So there's a lot of, sort of spheres in which I was a bit of an outsider. And I used to struggle with that. Mm. But actually, I think that fed into a kind of perspective on things. Actually, an outsider's eye is very good for a writer. Yeah. Because you're always observing, you're always yeah. noticing, you're always seeing the kind of cultures that are running in a thing that maybe everybody else is slightly blind to, you're aware of. And so I always had that kind of bubbling in me, but I didn't know. So we talk about being an outsider. I didn't, like, a lot of my kind of friends either went into very sort of successful managerial type of jobs. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Edinburgh, banking was the thing. If you want a job and you're semi-educated, go to the bank. And I knew I didn't want to do that. And, or go into sort of academia and yeah. education. And I, you enjoyed being there, but I didn't want to stay in academia at all. And, and all these kind of very good, very useful kind of um, career paths. I knew sure. I just didn't want but I didn't know what I wanted mm. to do. So, and that's partly why I ended up doing a lot of voluntary work. Um, you know, my faith was a huge, huge, and is a huge part yeah. of my life. Um, it's not some dark meltdown there or anything. <laughs> um, it's just, that's continued. But, <laughs> but, but that was a place where, you know, I could, I was useful and I could do things. And so I, I did a lot of work there, but also that wasn't a job that was either going anywhere. And so I didn't have that drive until I really connected with that. But then when I did that, thing you're saying about this Mr Beast guy I suddenly realised how much I knew about television and yeah. how much I knew about film and how much I knew about storytelling already Yeah, and I gave myself to it absolutely wholeheartedly yeah. I mean I had to, I worked part time jobs in order to survive but you know I, I made purposely to low paying low demanding jobs so I'd have the mental headspace to write to create yeah. you know so cafe work and bar work and um, customer service stuff and um, and um, and I, because that gave, afforded me the headspace to do that. And, um, and I'm not dissing those things either because, um, it sounded like being dismissive about them. They're good. Goodness me. Those are hardworking jobs and mm. demand so much from people and folks that are wonderfully good at them, called to them, thrive in them. It's wonderful. Yeah. But it wasn't me, but I could go and do a job that wasn't me like working in a bank and it would take over my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't get to write or I could go and do a job that wasn't particularly me. You know, customer um, service reception work. I did a lot of phone banking. I did a lot of market research yeah. surveys and yeah. things because it wouldn't take over my life, yeah. you know. And and I just really just went at writing and re- multiple scripts a year, mul- entered yeah. every competition going, knocked on every door and lived for it. And I think like that um, Mr. Beast said, you know, there's actually a, or you said about him, there's a really, it made sense there was progress there quite quickly yeah. because... It had been in me, and I gave my all to it, and, you know, was able to... And I think a lot of things I'd learned through customer service, I can talk to people. Yeah. A lot of writers, yeah. God bless us, are <laughs> stare at the floor and cry if anybody wants to talk to them. And I kind of... I have that. I'm naturally quite shy, but I've learned to be outgoing. And yes. the church was very good for that. Yeah. You know, being up front. Um, I played in bands for a couple of years, and so, again, naturally shy, but, well, you better sing. It's your song. You better sing it, you know. <laughs> so you learn to do that. And I think marrying... That interpersonal thing with being able to write allowed me to progress quite quickly. Yeah. What's been interesting for me is as life has developed and I've got a family now Mm -hmm. and also that I ran so hard at that, I began to, probably did burn out. And what what did that how to Well, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go on to that because how Mm -hmm. to recover from that Mm -hmm. and still keep the drive and the passion 
well, I've got to do the school run. Yeah. I want to have fun with my kids. I want to have some days off. I mean, I was working, and I still do, but not all the time. There was it was constant to be working until one o'clock in the morning on scripts, two o'clock in the morning, back at it, eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Through you can't do that when you've got kids, and you can't do that if you don't want to go mad. Actually, <laughs> so what did that look out look like? It, it came in a couple of forms. It, it kind of coincided with having kids, I think, um, because um, I'd cause I come. The good thing about writing is there is no too late. Do you know I mean, mm. um, Andrew Davies is one of the biggest writers in the UK, like mega smash hit guy, you know, did um, the big 90s Pride and Prejudice and yeah. um, hundreds of other big, big dramas that, of course, now I've got a microphone in front of me. Are, <laughs> I'm, st- st- you know, um, stuttering about and forgetting the names of, but a huge fellow. He didn't get his big break until he was in his mid 50s. Yeah, you know, and you get okay. people who break in their late teens, early 20s, and you get people who break in their 30s and 40s and 50s, but there's no too late. So that's a nice thing to take away from this if you are listening at home and yeah. wishing you did that. There really isn't. If your work's good, people are excited about you. Yeah. And if you've got the youth and passion of a 20-something, then brilliant. And if you've got the experience and the wisdom of a 50-something, then brilliant. wonderful as well. Yeah. So, But anyway, for me, I pushed really hard at breaking into this. I hit the point where we want to start a family and it was probably timely to start yeah. a family. But I guess my burnout coincided with that and... I kind of, we, various health reasons in my family, had I had to step back from work for a few months anyway, which was yep, good. Yep. But I ran into um, the early days of having a baby, having been working 16, 17 hour days up until about a week beforehand. Yeah. Which, dear listener, is not a good idea. Um, because you ain't getting any sleep for the next at least six months properly years. anyway. Yeah, oh, well, I'm six years in now <laughs> and not really. Um yeah, no, and so I think the, I took time out, but that was good because I was flattened and, and my mm. goodness, glorious, life-altering, beautiful days. But but the, the real slog of early parenting. And then tried to return to work Yeah, at the same rate, at the same level of ferocity and commitment that I had been going at it at and really found that it didn't work. Yeah. That I couldn't plan my schedule for 16 hour days or you know okay the 16 hour days were I'm exaggerating slightly. they were rare they did happen but you know 12 hour days yeah. 10 hour days yeah. back to back to back to back to back yeah. because my energy the rest of life demanded some of that energy and I'm realising your energy is finite was really shocking to me because it hadn't been I could hmm. it was always like that I could always do all nighters yeah. uh, you know at university I would just stay up for 48 hours straight um, 50 hours once that um, write an essay, hand it in, yeah. you know, do quite well at it, and then sleep in and recover. And A, getting older, you can't do that. And B, with kids, you you don't have the option to do that, even if you'd like to. <laughs> and so I really struggled with that. I struggled to return to work. Mm. The, the writing industry can, especially in drama, can be... When it works well, it's glorious. When it doesn't work well, there can be lots of egos and lots of... Um, do you know, often a lot of these things are made on small, on budgets that are too small, on timescales that are too small yeah. by people who are overworked. Yeah. And I came a cropper of some very bad practice um, around about this time. Yeah. And again, that wasn't my fault, um, but I didn't have the capacity to deal with it. Right. I think I think if I'd had the capacity to deal with the bad practice, people, you know, people well, that, this is taking the... advantage and people lying to you or people... Um, playing politics with you that if I yeah. was on form you would either yeah. see through or you deal with your address when you're on the edge of burning out 
Yeah, you get caught smack in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, I just can't really deal with it. Right. And so, and that, I mean, that's I interesting that in itself because, in part, that that seems to be what so much of a burnout culture can be. It's mm. like the game didn't change, the the circumstance maybe didn't change that you were in professionally. All that ego, all that drive mm. has been there since people were scratching on the walls that's of caves, my wall right? Of the cave. yeah, 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 get off yeah. it. Um, but there is that astuteness or some kind of, okay, I'm either up for playing the game, I'm, I'm observant of the game and playing a different one, or you're you're at least um, not naive. And, and the, it can be really hard, I understand, like when when we're, our, our kind of attention is drawn in to closer things or we're less aware or less resilient to those forces, the way it can can cut through the armor or cut through whatever strategies you use to navigate that that challenges face brutal when you notice that the things that used to be restorative protective aren't doing that anymore yeah absolutely and i think i think as well i to play the game to get to where i was i ran at it hard on yeah. the understanding that as your skill set grows and as your experience grows you think that, that demands should course. become less and there's also a thing when people say look you have to learn to say no and you have to learn to push back and so i was doing that but though, that was when I came across the toxic, the toxic culture where people did not want you to do that. And so actually, again, I didn't... I was trying to set boundaries and go, OK, I've, I've killed myself to get to here. Yeah. But can I now try and do the same amount of work for, like, a little bit less of destroying myself yeah. and put a few more boundaries in place? And I found that people had got used to you giving that level yeah. and demanded that level and yeah. got very difficult when you said no. Okay. And then... Again, I, I was, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd a young family and I had things. So I, that was really quite a difficult couple of years of navigating yeah, that. Yeah. And then working out how to come out of that because I hit yeah, a point. I hit a point with it maybe maybe two, three, three years ago, possibly coming into the pan, not not quite pandemic time, but coming into the pandemic time where I just bumped up against this too much and, um, you know, if it was a moment, I was going to walk away from it. That was it. Oh. That was it. That yeah. was that was I was going to yeah. do it. And so I'd been. Reason I'm not giving a lot of context to to, to your listeners, but I'd I'd yeah. been mostly working in television, con- what they call continuing drama, which is long running dramas. Soaps would come under that umbrella, but also sort of shows that are on like one once a week. Yeah. And um, it's a great place, especially for newer writers and yeah. um, high volume shows. They will take a chance. They'll get you in. And when those shows work well, my goodness, the the learning curve's incredible. Mm. The sense of achievement's incredible. Yeah. The rewards for doing it are incredible. But also, when those shows get dysfunctional, they become very toxic very quickly because yeah. they're well, so high volume, the machine can't stop. And you have to make an hour... Stepping into an, an institution, Institution, right? which, yeah. um, if it's if it's working well, is a joy to be part of, and if it's not working well, yeah. is is awful. And doing that while... Finding you know the the challenges of young parenthood, but actually more seriously, there was a an illness in my family that we were dealing with yeah. that was incredibly demanding, and you just decided it, no, just took it took more more it, took, it had to take. Well, I couldn't. I could have sacrificed that, and I could have let my family down, or I could have shrugged it off. But I wasn't doing that because for me, writing and for work, anyway, is to enrich life. I definitely you know work to live mm. rather than live to work. And I actually wasn't going to do that. And it, it came to a point where I was I was ready to walk away with it. Like, I'd been treated really badly on some shows. I was I was ready to be done. 
And I had to really ask the question, why are, what, if, what else would you do? And that was terrifying, Mark, because I, mm. <laughs> I realised I've got very few transferable skills now. I went at this so hard <laughs> that, um, you know, do I go and, and oh, do I go get a job at a bank or do I go get a job at a big firm? You'd be a firm? crypto billionaire if you uh, worked in a bank, w- I think. W- would I? Because I think I, I tend to get really, no, I get I really bad. happy. But... I get really subversive when I, I've done office jobs. I <laughs> yeah. get, honestly, I'm in the place for 10 minutes and I'm, and I'm looking for ways to destroy it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not even funny. You move all the cutlery uh, around. Yeah, the and, and, and move and... signs and use use executive bathrooms that are not for me because you're not telling me I can't use that. Sort of, you know, I get really belligerent really quickly in a corporate culture. I get really difficult with. I'm really not good with it, and so I can't do that, Mark. And also, I'd be starting at the bottom. You know, twenty years after everybody else, and so I think. You decide you're going to be a writer. Stick with the writer. Make so what else the hell am I going to do? Well, I did, but I also had to go back and remember why did you start this? Yeah. Why did you get into it? Because you loved stories. Yeah. And I'd spent two years really working on stories I hadn't loved for people that didn't appreciate me and that were destroying my life. And I kind of made the decision that I'd stop chasing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And... Kind of long story short, but if you want to be a sort of drama writer in the UK and you're, you know, I think if folks come from money or they can sort of just choose to go after the work they want and hold their hold their guns until they get into things. But for most people, if you have to earn a living, you do work on yeah. high volume shows that that that, um, that 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 can be an amazing place if you love them and you're mm-hmm. good at them. But the kind of career path for a lot of writers anyway is that you work on other people's shows for a couple of years. Shows shows that have a high turnover. Writers prove that you can deliver on time. Yeah. You can you can you, uh, and then you get your um, then you, you you're trusted to do your own stuff. And that was always what I wanted to do. But there's a danger in well in trying to just maintain an income. To be quite honest, of staying put if you don't love working on the high volume shows and you don't love that. But you know if you do well at them, the the financial rewards are incredible, really. Um, and so there's a temptation to keep returning. Think, well, I need the money, and if I can just get, but it was killing me. Mm. And so I made a decision to not go after that anymore, and to try and pursue now that I've done enough of that stuff, that I have delivered good work, that I'm proud of on these things, that I'm going to go after getting my own stuff produced more. And I'd always been trying to do that on the yeah. side, but I decided that, that was really my direction of travel now. Yeah. And it's much more frightening because there's zero income guaranteed, and zero. Um, chance of anything getting made but I mean in one sense it can it was used of, it could coincide with the pandemic there wasn't a pressure to be working because there was yeah. the whole world just paused so I could take some time to sort of think and recharge there and then begin to push at things a bit more and it's just I'd had a really nice couple of years now Mark last yeah. last year and a half mm. um of more of my original work being what they call into development mm-hmm. where you um, it's where like companies will invest some money to help you start writing stuff and yeah. planning shows and programs and dramas that, that they will then try and take to market and get made yeah. and um, manage to get you know, my first original script away um, 2021 and, and write that and then now a second thing for an audio streaming platform that I'll not name now because it's it's all, all to, contracts in play and stuff but a, a well-known audio streaming platform we're doing a, a, um, a six-part drama for and um, I have a short film of mine that looks like it's gearing up to film and other work that's in the pipeline there yeah. and it and it's good and it's it's um 
I feel like I'm recovering. Yeah. I feel like I'm recovering. Wow. I don't think I'm there from the burnout yet, but I feel like my um, I'm doing what I love. I'm you know I've got young children who are pre one one of whom's pre pre nursery. Yeah. And so you know this isn't forever the stage of life, and I want to enjoy it. Wow. And so um. You know, I'm working, I'm doing stuff, but yeah. you know, there will come a time when we'll push harder and do more when I'm not, you know, when, when, when my child's in, into nursery and into school. But yeah. at the minute, she's not. And I want to be with, be around for her and be human and, yeah, and whole. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's been, for me anyway, the last the journey the last couple of years has been, I pushed really hard at something and I was quite successful at it quite fast. And then the rest of life happened. Yeah. And they did not integrate. And they did not hold together very well. Yeah. And now kind of from the putting that back together now. Yeah. And yeah. and trying to find a way forward that So so mm. you know, as you're doing that, um and as as you kinda of unpack uh what I think everyone probably thinks is the life of a writer. Oh, which yeah. is which is um at many stages. The day starts with a whiskey <laughs> and then I meditate. It's for just a, while. a push. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it's just like a thump for a light a woods fire and just <laughs> Just breathe yeah, it all in. And then just read some poetry. Um, but, but you do this amazing combination of actually like juggling a creative passion that you put into action. So, I mean, those three things. Mm. Some people, I think they find it hard to engage creativity in their work. Some people find it really tricky to engage something they, they consider their passion. Um, and to put any of those into some form of regular action is very difficult. The Mac agrees, but Thanks, Mac. <laughs> the, um, but you you actually have created, I suppose, a life where you've um, pressed into all these things. That it's it's creativity, it's your deep passion, and you have you act on it daily, and that's quite rare to also. I think mm. uh, you know, observing that to hold that while you're doing the family life thing, um. And I, I mean, it'd be fun to do the like, oh, how, how does that work day to day? But I, I suppose I'm really interested just like, why? Why do you, why do, you yeah, do it why this way? Why is interesting, isn't it? Um, why is interesting? So my wife's an artist as well. My wife's a, a, a photographer. And so we're both asking these questions all the time. Right. And I think that's quite interesting. The two of us um, thinking that way. I think I know a lot of um, mm-hmm. people who are artists who married someone who's not in that world, and, yeah. and that's an interesting yeah. dynamic. Maybe one is 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 focusing more on 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 the career and provision in that sense, and one is following their art. Um, it's a more regular income. Yeah, and, and it's, 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 it's not an un- aspiring writer. It's marry a doctor um, <laughs> or, or a CEO or something like that because it's um, it takes a lot of pressure off. Um, but in all seriousness, we're both very we're both wired very similarly, and I think that's helped. And yeah. you know, and that's tough because we're both trying to raise. We, we're tr- trying to. We are raising our children. That's not. That's not hypothetical. We are <laughs> raising our children, and we're both working, and we're both trying to be creative, and so. It's a discussion that goes around there, but so you ask me kind of wh- why we do, why do I do that? I think, I think it comes partly back to being an outsider that I knew mm. I didn't fit in a more corporate world or in a more career world. I I don't want to be rude or dismissive of it. Go on, but I just don't care. Yeah, I just don't care. I'm just not impressed by it, and I'm just not. I mean, I don't mean I hate it. I, I don't think it's worthless, but I'm not doing it, and I don't. And my parents were wonderful in that they never pushed us to... We didn't have a lot of money growing up, but we mm-hmm. were really happy. Mm-hmm. Like we were really... We were probably... Some, you know, we were turned about very well-off well people, but I, I, 
and we weren't and we, we and I was aware I'm, I'm kind of more aware now that we weren't but I'm really what I take away is just that we were really happy mm. and we were really um like family and being together really mattered much more than chasing jobs and things and I think that really carried through and I think I can always, you know, there's different theories in this. Some people feel that they are their job or their job is who they are and someone drinks part of them. I'm, I don't sure I believe that. And so I was never felt the need to kind of go after that stuff. Like, would I like to have a lot more money? Yes. And would I like to have a nice, a bit because I would, yeah, who wouldn't? But like, I don't want it. And I don't want it enough. Mm. I think that's it. I think that's what I, I realised. Right. I was thinking to myself like, what, I was thinking to myself what would I give to have a big house? Or what would I give to... And I realised, I actually wouldn't give very much at all because I clearly could have done if I wanted to, and I haven't. <laughs> because I've chosen to do this because this lights a light bulb in my brain and in my heart more than being on a, a more traditional job trip. Yep. And, and I'm not, people feel find their joy in their life and what they do, that's amazing, but I really don't. I find my joy in my life. Yeah. In doing this, and my wife, you know, finds a joy in life in her art, and gosh, her stuff's amazing and and, and beautiful, yeah. and brings yeah. her stuff so full of life and vitality, and my art's all full of angst and um, <laughs> and and um, moodiness. But it's, I think, trying to. I guess it maybe partly come partly comes back to my faith, and it partly comes down to believing. Yeah. in a bigger world than just the world in front of us and just the world we see and I guess I'm not a materialist is what I'm trying to say right I'm a not story yeah a big, it's a bigger story I mean yeah kind of they hit the nail on the head there there's a bigger story we're part of and that bigger story is divorced from wealth and divorced from career and divorced from success oh. and stuff like that and our value is found in, 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 in something much more intrinsic about who we are as people and how we relate to one another. And for me, mm. storytelling is about expressing that, that there's a, yeah, that there's a bigger world and there's a bigger, there's a bigger us than just guess the boxes we get put into. And I think yeah. when I'm talking about careers and stuff, I'm not going to make, have a go at people and what they do because most folks would just look at what I do and think it's mad and you'd possibly be right, uh, <laughs> dear listener. But the, it's being put in boxes. The, the, the box that marks you success or not success, the box that marks you an important contributor to society or not important contributor to society, the box that says we approve of this type of life and, and not mm. that one, I, I, I don't believe in those. And I actually believe, I don't just not believe in them, I believe they actively need smashing, which is why I'm a belligerent yeah. person to have work in a corporate entity because I, I do think that, that, for, that art has that art is meant to be disruptive yeah art is meant to be provocative I, I you know art is meant to I don't really like art that comforts I like art that disturbs a yeah. little bit yeah or that um if it, when it does comfort it comforts because it's saying it's okay to get rid of all the yeah the, the, you know the the, the the kind of the crap that the well, nails you down and stuff the, you know as as you unpack it it's mm. it's this whole thing around the the, the nature as you express of being the outsider and i suppose then yeah. it's the question of what, yeah. outside of what and mm. I, as i understand you know of of the umpteen different personality structures that exist one of the traits in um you know the enneagram that's that's beloved there's there's a Typing in the Enneagram. The, the dysfunctional one that I am. Someone described one of those traits as this kind of outsider thing that said if they're at um, a family table at Christmas, mm. 
then they are the one that in the hubbub of the noise and the love is looking outside the, the window to the mm. street and wondering, oh, I wonder what it'd be like to go walk out there. That looks wonderful. And equally, they're they're the person that is walking along along the street, looking in the family window, going, I wonder what it'd be like around that table. And and the position of of being of relating to as an outsider, it, I, I do think it's a it's a fascinating one, but because I wonder how much of that is um, that you need to construct a world to not belong in, in order to to kind of exist and observe into it, when you know the more the more that we're going through the um, life and seeing society change, the role of the outsider, like they're actually the ones that are shaping society. So the writers are are shaping our perception of the world um, that, from our books, from our narratives. Yeah, from, yeah. So so there's an enormous um, sense of belonging that. I think the outsider has within how the, that, and how, how does that work? I think I think the truth of it is we all feel we're an outsider, don't we? I think mm. that's it. We're all the kind of I think it's the thing about be careful of writers and treating them like they're special. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's actually maybe just you're expre- giving expression to that and you're giving um I think that's really interesting you saying there that, that they're the ones shaping culture because that's true because you don't shape culture unless you step outside it. Do right. you? You know, yeah, okay. you know, yeah. I, I think that's right. I right. think like you know, you know, it's only in the, you know, look at like, it's rock and roll in the 50s and 60s that shapes culture because it's rebellious. It's yeah. not following the mainstream. Yeah. The romantic poets do the same in the, in the you know, the, yeah. the, the 1800s. Like you say, um, good art seems yeah, to do Yeah, that. good art does that. And so good art always does that. It steps outside of things, it makes people look at things, and eventually it becomes part, we get yeah. subsumed back into that. So I think that's a valuable thing. I think we all see ourselves as outsiders, though. I think that's very few people... Um, <laughs> Or, or you know, or the, the you do meet some that people who are then like militantly insiders, but then that's probably born out of a desperation to fit in. So I think it's realizing that that's not maybe not special, but it's giving voice to it and giving voice to. I do think I can only speak from my own experience, mm. but I do think around growing up as a working class guy in a middle class culture, mm-hmm. got, and look, I work in the arts now, which is predominantly a middle middle and up kind of world um you do see what maybe maybe i'm just a little bit wise to things where people are forced to fit in that they don't even realize they're being yeah. forced to fit in okay forced to shave bits of their personality off or shave their yeah. childlikeness off i yeah. think i think that's one of the things innocence. with creativity is keep innocence oh my mm. goodness innocence is so valuable don't get rid don't lose that mm. it, it really <laughs> is but that whole of growing up tells you you must lose your innocence doesn't it and um but you know that the, the squash i'm determined to stay childlike and i'm determined to stay young because i think middle class create sort of even the creative sphere but corporate sphere all of it is about what well, the, the corporate sphere i guess is about fitting in and doing a good job and being a good producer replicating and, uh, yeah that. <laughs> and the creative sphere is about um there's a homogeneity to it there's a there's a whatever the, the the trend of the time is or the or the a pretension a, a pretension that actually actually is more about making you fit in mm. than actually you know loving something you see it with bands don't you and like people love a band until they get big and then they say yeah. oh, oh it's terrible they sold out and, and because you have to say that to be one of the cool people you yeah. know and it's <laughs> the same sort of tendency I think of just it squashes you you're not allowed to love what you love you're not allowed to be all you are you have to squash yourself down and I think what I think is maybe useful about people who step outside of that 
is that everyone's got the stuff going on inside them. But if you dare to step outside of it and go, actually, there's value in being me. Mm. Go, there's mm. value in being maybe a bit of a misfit. There's value in saying, I think this is nonsense, folks. Um, and there's value in, in bursting bubbles sometimes. And it's not to be cruel to people who are invested in those bubbles. But do you know what? It's freeing to say you don't have to. It's always going to people talk about, like, I, 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 I dear listener, I, I, I have... I'm rapidly losing my hair, but I used to have very long hair. And I remember someone saying to me, you're going to have to cut that to be professional. <laughs> and I was thinking, sorry, if that is what you value someone's professionalism on, not if they can do the job, but if they look right, we're all doomed. But realising <laughs> that is a huge part of like, your corporate culture. Do you know what I mean? Right. You've got to look the part or mm. you won't. And just be anything that bursts those bubbles and said, actually, no, can you, yeah. can you do a job? Well, I'd like that person to be my professional, yeah. not the, yeah. not, not, not the kind of, yeah, not the not the the drone, and I, I think any a useful thing about art and creativity is just to push people to don't squash yourself. Maybe that's all we're saying. Don't squash yourself yeah. because yeah. you've got tons to. There's no life in squashing yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, have I rambled there? So I feel like I've rambled there. No, that's so good. Um, there's yeah. There's that beauty of um, that. It's so easy to drop off. The um, the innocence because because being naive in creative industries, as you have expressed, mm. can be particularly brutal. But mm. the the kind of walking together of an awareness of how the world operates, an awareness that you know not everyone adores collaboration and your magical ideas. Like actually, yeah. there's agendas, there's yeah. strong strong political outcomes in all these areas. It happens across all spheres, but maintain your innocence in some way maintain yeah. your joy maintain your ability to provoke and to to enjoy that yeah Kenya is a, a good line you can be as wise as serpents but as innocent as doves yeah. and it's really hard yeah. that because I think that's what I saw happening to me as I got kicked around yeah. in my industry was I walked headfirst into a lot of pe- other people's agendas yeah not realizing I was doing that and got pretty chewed up at the same time, then you start to lose that innocent joy about I'm just creating and yeah. telling stories because that's all I got to do, Mark, yeah. is just string well, it along in a story. So how and have how, some fun. how does it uh, um, how, how does it work then? So how you know it is it just two crappy pages a day as I can't remember said. Um, yeah, but, but, but good on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how how does a day work? Right, a good often day or a bad day. Uh, ooh, uh, a bad day that you end and think that was okay. Okay. Oh, that's good. Right. I think creativity is, uh, you know, there, there's inspiration that, you, that is bubbling up inside you, but there is the, there is the it's a, such a cliche, but the perspiration of getting it done. And I do think showing up and doing, very often I'm not in the mood. I'm not feeling it. I don't want to do it. I'll open my laptop, mm-hmm. write very little for a very long time, and then have a burst. Mm. And you get two or three pages, or four, five, six, ten mm-hmm. pages, you know, suddenly... I was on the way here. I, I I struggled to write this morning, Mark, and I had a bus ride to get here and I got my laptop off on the bus. Oh. Solved a thing that's been driving me nuts for uh, weeks. Ah, cool. Okay. And so I think showing up is really important. And do up. you do you have the laptop, like, is it in the same space and you have a same oh, little no, ritual? Oh, no, because I don't have space that. at home. I, my house is all um, <laughs> kids, food on the floor and kids' toys everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm just moving from clear space to yeah. clear space. So you just need I, your receptacle I, on ideally, you at all times. Yeah, I, I want a sort of hobbit-like kind of, like, uh, fireplace <laughs> office and a kind of... But, I, you know, I, that's just not the case. No, it's laptop out. I think with writing me... Uh, the actual physical writing, the clicking a keyboard, doesn't, if you know what you're doing, doesn't take that long. Yeah. So the real work is in 
thinking it through, knowing what it's about, and th- and planning it. Yeah. That can happen on walks. Yeah. That can happen in the bath. That can happen. You know that that. that that can happen anywhere. The problem is if, guess if you had a deadline and you've got to deliver something, you feel the, the pressure yeah. to open your laptop and start writing. And you can spend... I, I'm saying you, I'm just depersonalising to protect right. myself. I've actually done it as well. The pain of it. <laughs> but um, I sit there and a day goes by and you've written a third of a page and it's just useless and I'm not going to do it. Then you get up and you go pick the kids up and on the walk, boom, yeah. you solve it. Or you yeah. do the dishes. And Agatha Christie said like the best insights come in this... I think it's when doing the dishes. Yeah. Why on earth I force myself to sit at a screen all day <laughs> and get nothing done? Do you know what I should have done? Should yeah, it's have very gone. corporate, Chris. It's so, well, I'm, I am a total seller. And I should have gone for a walk. Because right. honestly, it would have done better for it. Because when you know it, yeah. the actual physical writing takes as long as it takes to, to tap, tap, your, tap your finger on it. Yeah. In terms of getting stuff done, the best advice I got was do not worry about making it good. If you are making it good, you'll just rewrite the same sentence yeah. a thousand times. And I have that tendency... And I fall back into this all the time. But one of the good things about a deadline is it doesn't allow you to do that. Somebody says, get it written, then make it good. Don't, Ooh, good. don't. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Get it writ, then get it right, I think is what they said, which is, <laughs> which is pretty pithy. But it's good. Just get stuff done. And I forget this all the time. I want every, oh no, that's full stop should move. Mm. And oh, there could be more subtext in this. Just yeah. write the damn thing yeah. and get it done. Because when you've done it, you'll find it's much easier to, you've, you have done the hard work. And do you, get, do you get aware of that when you're in it? So mm. sometimes with a songwriting process, mm. I, to delineate the kind of melody feel thing with the lyric bit, okay. uh, if I'm on my own and get caught up in the swamp of it, if I'm writing with someone and we get bogged down in lyric, I'm like, why are we wasting our time arguing over the lyrics? Mm. We can do this over five weeks on email and we yeah, can send te- 20 verses. Yeah, we can text yeah. these. Why aren't we just getting the feel of this right and yeah. the, the vibe? So I, how do you how do you notice Ooh, that's where good. you're going as that's you're in really it? That's really good. Because yeah, um, you're right with songwriting, you realise you can just, it's the vibe matters and then <laughs> you'll fit this. I think with this, it's more, I think first drafts anyway are usually about um, coherence and just mm. telling the story yeah. so it makes sense. Yeah. Because the thing about a script is it's it's not the finished thing. It's a blueprint. It has to be yeah. handed over to even the even on the smallest thing you're handing over to a team to work with. Yeah. In a big production, you have bosses, you'll have um, you know, actors, you have casting people, sound yeah. effects people, all these sort of things. Your document has to make sense to people. So often with the first draft, they're quite on the nose. They're quite literal. Yeah. There's not a lot of subtlety and nuance because you just need to, this story. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah. And then if it's gone well then you go and add in the nuance and the subtlety and right. you dial things back yeah. and you do... I think if it's gone... If there's problems at that stage, then you have to dismantle it and rebuild yeah. it. But then it's easier to dismantle and rebuild if you're not... If you haven't spent all this yeah. time yeah. polishing this thing that you know... You, you can't move that comma. Yeah. That comma <laughs> needs to be that, you know, you get really precious about it. So I think writing a document that makes... Okay, you can follow the character goes here, they do this, that happens, them, that makes them angry hilarity or drama ensues that's usually those first drafts and they are hard I so I know some writers who love the first draft it's like that's my favourite draft yeah. because you can just make mistakes and go where your mind goes I find it really hard because they're really they're often lacking that sparkle and that nuance yeah. but they're the for me anyway once you break the back of that and you know okay the story makes sense and it works yeah. then and it gets... the fun bit and then you can do you know I know quite a famous writer uh, I know he always says like he doesn't he purposely writes bad dialogue in his first draft 
So he's not invested in it. He just writes really boring, yeah. dull stuff yeah. so that he can write that first draft. Yeah. And then you get the fun yeah. of making it witty yeah, and sparkly. And, you um, would, um, in a song, like you're just writing sounds and, and all yeah. the cliches come out, yeah. but you don't get bogged down trying to turn the cliche into an original thing. You just get the thing that works to get the... The, the few yeah, and you can sing. Okay. You can now sing the song. Yeah, yeah. In its entirety, and then you go, okay, let's actually make this something yeah. more. What's a better way of saying right. this? Exactly, and that's exactly I think what, what you're describing yeah. there. It's a difference between probably, and what you might not even notice it happening by the time, because by the time you get to the finished song, you sort of or the finished script, you sort of forget all of that. Yeah. And it's really interesting to go back and look at those early drafts, or yeah. I imagine listen to that early yeah, demo yeah, and go, yeah. oh, that was quite different actually. Right. I didn't notice that melody's got stronger over time. Yeah. And I've not consciously done it. I'm just singing it better. As yeah. So, so what mm. what um, habits then do you or um, what do you have? I don't even want to say build into your life. What exists in your life? I love that you're asking me about my this. kind of uh, zen-like disciplines. I'm a shambles. No, I'm a shambles. Yeah. I'm an exhausted. I'm an exhausted dad. that's doing far too much. And so I, I I kind of wish I had some sort of like rule of life or something to do, and just. At the minute, I think I'm just, I think it's just showing up. I think yeah, that's it. And okay. it's not glamorous. It doesn't feel like I'm connecting myself on some deep level or yeah. some deep, I, I want all that. But I think I'm being realistic about my life at the moment um, until, until we kind of actually embrace, not apologizing for it. It's the only thing that the early parenthood yeah. is a thing everyone wants to moan about because it, it's the hardest work I've ever done in it. I and mean, I talk about, I've worked 16 hour days on these scripts and I've done nothing compares to how hard this is. And it, it's glorious and I've chosen it and I yeah. want it and I love it. But I am, for me, it's about grabbing the time when it comes. Yeah. But also not feeling bad when I don't. Yeah. yeah because yeah. actually childcare is work. Yeah. And I think there's a whole history of like sexism and like around why childcare is not seen as work and why we feel if we're a working person and we've done a day of childcare, we don't, we feel like at nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night. Now I need to start my work as mm-hmm. if you've not just worked the whole day yeah, raising yeah. human beings and trying to turn them into, you know, nurture them into who they are. So I think juggling that with my screenwriting work, when there's work on, it's taking the time to do it. If yeah. I've got a clear day, if, if um, my wife's got the kids or a family member's got the kids, um, then you make the most of that day and you do mm-hmm. it. Um, also, it's to not feel bad about when you say, actually, I've done my work for today. Yeah. Because that's what I didn't do before. I worked, you know, finish childcare at nine o'clock, do the dishes till 11 o'clock, and let's write till two in the morning, and then yeah. back up at six, you know. Yeah. And so it's given myself actually permission to be a bit more human. And it's actually producing... What's really interesting, Mark, is I'm producing better work yeah. at the moment when I'm chilling the heck out yeah. than I was when I was like... I'm sorry, <laughs> for, for the viewers at home, I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I just miming myself hunched <laughs> over a keyboard. But um, I think it's at the moment, yeah, when I've got work to do, it's doing enough of it, and knowing what, and then is. and yeah, and then stopping, yeah, and actually knowing there'll come a day when I'll just have to take a huge run at it, and that'll be great, and maybe I'll have two or three days where I don't, because and that will yeah. change when when we move out of this stage of life. But at this stage of life, if I value my writing, and I do, and if I value raising my children, and I do, then my time is finite, yeah. and don't feel bad about that. I'm rocketing towards forty. My energy is finite. Don't feel bad about that. I'm actually really quite good at this writing thing now, so I will be able to deliver it. Yeah. That, and having that confidence, no, you will be able to deliver it. Yeah. So therefore, don't burn yourself out. That's taken a long time to learn. Oh. I'm good. I'll deliver it. It'll be fine. So it's going, right, what is the what is the pressing thing at the moment? Right, the script is due in three days. Right, well, in that case, 
today's a day out with yeah. a laptop. Do you know what? It's not June for two weeks. Maybe today's today. I've got a bit of free time. Yeah. Maybe I'll play my guitar. Maybe I'll go for a walk. Yeah. Maybe I'll see Mark and do a podcast. Yeah. And um, that's you, know, you you'd sort of pulled it out. Um, Some of that is pulling um, order out of chaos. Yeah, it's. Pull, I think you're exactly right. And, and actually seeing the chaos as kind of an order. Yeah. Because it is... It is. Chaos isn't maybe an obstacle. Perhaps the chaos is is the path. I don't know. That sounds really yeah. pretentious, but you know, like um, you said it. Actually, I just let you say that better than I did. No, the, yeah, the, the chaos isn't an obstacle. You're, yeah. you're actually that's it's the context for your work. Yeah, it's, and the, it's context. the context for inspiration. It's the context for all creativity. Yeah. If it's not coming out of something resembling chaos, isn't needing created because it's already there in order. It's no, and it's place. why you know. Um, Bands in output becomes less interesting when they become yeah, yeah. super settled <laughs> and doing yoga retreats all the time, isn't it? And when they're kind of, you know, full of angst. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I don't know. Is it the same for us? Do you use it? You know. Yeah. And so I do. You know, I do. I try and write every day, though. That is the thing. I do of a work. I mean, in a working week, I, try, I do try and write every day, even yeah. if it is just some days it'll be six hours, eight hours, and, yeah. I'll, and I'll really be at it and going. And other days it'll be it'll be two hours. Yeah. And. What's interesting is sometimes I'm more productive in those two hours than I am in an eight-hour day. That's yeah. fascinating and actually maybe quite exciting because maybe you don't have to sit, like I say, sit staring at a screen sweating blood for six hours to get nowhere yeah. to fix it when you do the dishes. <laughs> maybe if you just, you know, lived life a little bit, it would unblock itself. Is, wow. um, That's amazing. Is that helpful? Yeah. yeah. So um, last kind of thought, Chris, mm-hmm. is just... What's in the future of your work? Oh, in the future of my work? Well, do you know what? I think partly it is having, uh, uh, having you know, l- had to go hell for leather at it completely yeah. all or nothing and then life happening and I'm working out to integrate them is how to continue to integrate them because we are going to have a bit more space and time as our kids get older mm. and, you know, into school have all sorts of other challenges but there will be I'll get days back again. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to actually, you know, I'm being flippant about it, but actually having structured days yeah. because that will free up other time elsewhere. So that's exciting. I think creatively it is actually about the kind of, I guess, the lumps and bumps of the last couple of years, funneling them into work and having something to say. And I think having something to say about the stage of life I'm at, it's not a stage of life that's romanticised about. Yeah. You know, you know singledom's romanticised about. Falling in love is romanticised about. Um, the kind of, so the, the, yeah. the, 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 the kind of rougher parts of life and the, and the, and the unromantic side of things actually isn't talked about much. And I, and I think that will filter into my work. I think, you know, practically it's about, you know, the next couple of years is hopefully about getting some of these projects off the ground and made yeah. that are more authored, more mine, more stuff I've generated. Amazing. Um, and seeing them get made and get taken shape and hopefully um, allow me to fall into a rhythm with work of doing more that I love, hopefully being rewarded for doing more that I love and able to kind of um, get established in that. But I mean, I, 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 it's funny, the project I'm working on at the moment, Mark, in this audio drama is an idea I first had, the roots of it go back to 1999, <laughs> uh, gazing out the window in school. Yeah. And then I first wrote them down in 2003 and then I, made a script out of them in 2009 and then I tried to get it made sort of 2015 and then 2017 and then 18, 19 and finally here we are in, in space year 2022 and it's it's well on the way to becoming a thing and, 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 and getting made now and there's so much that's 
I'm realising actually about what's exciting about the future is you've not lost what's in the past, but finding a home for the stories that have burned in you since you were mm. young. I have, you know, I, like everyone, there's work and creative work. I'm sure it's the same with songwriting. There's songs that you do and you think, oh, that was good, that's great. And there's the stuff you burn for. Yeah. And the one or two that are, or, or the three or four, really, you know, the heart, passion ones. And the, for me, it's about finding those stories. And I have them. And getting them made in some way. And also exciting to think that I'll find new stories that I'll feel that way about. Yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. And um, hopefully with less bags under my eyes and stuff. <laughs> but um, We'll bring it on. It's going to be, yeah. be amazing. Thank you. The, uh, I'm inspired by how you operate and who you are. And just the way that you have been committed to a passion of yours. And you have built life with that and around that. So thank you so much. Oh, well, pleasure, man. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining my conversation with Chris. If you want to get in touch with Chris, you can find him on Instagram at I am Chris Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Please do like and subscribe and share the episodes with folks that you might think would find this helpful. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email on mark at markcameron.co. Thanks again and have a good week.